Good afternoon and welcome to your American Heritage, baby. My name's Ed Bondarenka. My pronouns are we and the people, and I am, of course, not your normal fluffy insurrectionist. So producing the show and the guy that answers your calls and finds stuff we need to know is the hardest working man in radio, Derek Stone. Hi, Derek. Derek hosts Stone Cold Sports Sundays at noon 30 right after my friend Sean Todd on the intersection at noon. You should listen to the intersection because it's not your normal fluffy Christian show. So it's day 668 of the coup, which is the theft of the American government by enemies, both foreign and domestic. Okay, we've said it before. We've said it, we'll say it again. This is spiritual warfare, good versus evil. We are at war. Psalm 144 says, blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war, and my fingers for battle. Please clasp your hands and lock your fingers together, and let's bow our heads, and let's pray. Let's go to war. Father, please protect our nation. Please deliver us from our oppressors, and please enlighten our citizenry to the present danger, and please give us righteous, righteous representation in government. And please restore goodness and morality to the governance of our nation and this state, all the states. Please lead and guide the American people in the days to come. Amen. Well, thanks for joining me today. Uh, joining me is Scott Powell. He's the author of Rediscovering America. Scott's been on before. He's an author. He's a consultant. He's an entrepreneur. He's a senior fellow with the Discovery Institute. Once again, Scott came to my attention via his book, which is certainly not his first, Rediscovering America. I highly recommend this book. You get it, you read a chapter to your kids at each national holiday. Today, we're going to discuss Thanksgiving. Hi, Scott. How are you today? I am, I am great, and it is a delight to be with your audience. Great. So um, I was reading your chapter. I was reviewing your chapter on Thanksgiving last night, and... Um, you talk about the Mayflower Compact, and I don't want to get away from your presentation, okay? I want you to be able to give your presentation exactly the order you want to. I don't want to jump ahead, fall behind. Oh, no, don't worry. This but, is going to be very spontaneous. We, we, you know, no okay. problem. Don't worry. <laughs> because I know that so much of um, Thanksgiving, of course, is predicated on the Mayflower arriving on our shows, shores, and it's very important how the Mayflower came to our shores. But I thought it was interesting the way that you described the Mayflower as having a sweet scent. I had never read that before. And that was due to all of the, it used to ferry high, highly potent alcoholic beverages, wines, Bordeaux, Portmonts, whatever, be across the English Channel. And there was a lot of spillage that was washing and disinfecting the decks. Is that right? Well, that's, that, that is what I, in my research, I came across that, uh, that reference several times. So it, it certainly made sense because, you know, being on a ship uh, in very tight quarters for nearly two months 
that uh, of course there were there were some illnesses, certainly seasickness, but mm. no, but no one passed away. They they all survived that voyage. So, uh, and the very first winter after they did arrive was it was devastating. They encountered, you know, they they encountered uh, germs and perhaps viruses that uh, they were unfamiliar with being in a new land, and and half. The Plymouth Colony passed away in the first winter. They lost half their people, whereas they didn't lose anybody in the passage over the Atlantic except one crew member who uh, was swept over in, in high winds. Yeah. You know, so I thought it was kind of interesting. My wife and I just finished watching this old sci-fi movie. Uh, we finished watching it last night. We started watching it a couple nights before because uh, it gets late and we fall asleep and then got to back up a little bit more. And so uh, it's called When Worlds Collide. And I remember seeing that when I was a kid on TV. And so we streamed it last night, When Worlds Collide. It's about Earth's last days as a planet because this other planet is approaching Earth and its, uh, its sun is a rogue star and it's going to destroy Earth. So these people plan to get on, to build a rocket ship, and only so many people are going to escape Earth and go to this new planet. In the closing scene, they go to this planet, they land, and they're overlooking the landscape, and they're they're coming down off the gangplank, and that's it. But they had brought so many sheep, so many lambs, so many this and that, you know, a Noah's Ark type of situation, and so many tools. And I got to thinking, I wonder if they're going to make the same mistake that the pilgrims made and be socialists when they when they get there throughout the throughout the movie there's a talk, there's all kinds of talk about god and atonement and people approaching god because of this coming doom i was really really amazed at the re, the religious reflection on this and i got to thinking about like i said when these people are coming down the ramp i'm thinking about the mayflower compact and the mayflower ship you know the, the colonists hitting the shores of the new land and how they're going to handle that did I did I go off track too far? Oh, not at all. <clears throat> no, um, I mean it was a it was a very rough crossing of the Atlantic Ocean, um, and I think what's important add too is that is the backstory. The backstory mm-hmm. is that the Protestant Reformation uh, came about prior to Martin Luther, but it really really picked up real momentum uh, with Martin Luther and his ninety five theses. Uh, in 1517, and you know that really changed everything. And the the pilgrims were singularly motivated to come to the new world because they were they were separatists from the Church of England. They felt that the Church of England was still, uh, you know, somewhat formal had had too much ritual carried over from the Catholic Church. Uh, and and they were not grounded enough uh, and preaching according to the to the Bible and these separatists really really were called to go to the new world to live out their Christian life. This is this was the singular motivation of the pilgrims, unlike the earlier colony in Jamestown and colonies that came afterwards, where there were many 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 Christians came to the new world, but the pilgrims had a singular motivation. And, um, of course, they had no idea what they were going to encounter on that 94-foot Mayflower. They got a late start because there were two 
originally there were going to be two ships crossing the ocean, but one of them, the Speedwell, sprung uh, sprung leaks. They tried twice to leave with the Speedwell and finally had to decide we can't. We have to go on the Mayflower. So they chose as many as they could could fit. Uh, 102 people on a 94-foot ship. That is very crowded, let me tell you. But they got Mm -hmm. a late start, and uh, I think they encountered, uh, it could be a hurricane. They, Of course, they didn't really know what hurricanes were, but very high winds, rough seas, uh, where the ship really got battered, and the main beam in the ship actually broke, and they were, you know, they were, they, they were, they had to survive, and so they, they followed a course that wasn't where they really wanted it, where they were destined, where they were actually chartered to go, which was in northern New Jersey towards the mouth of the Hudson River. <clears throat> you know, they had been chartered uh, a colony by the Virginia Company, and the colony was to be located there, but the, the storm blew them uh, off the coast of Massachusetts, off Cape Cod, and um, they were running out of provisions, uh, and there was spoilage, and the, the Mayflower was not all pilgrims. It was about half separatists, which are the pilgrims, and half the half the the other people on the ship were crew members. They were craftsmen, uh, coopers. Uh, Miles Standish was a military guy, and, and can, in we, any case, can we stop for a uh, second? You yes. mentioned that there were coopers, and a cooper. Is somebody who's a barrel maker. That's a barrel maker. I just maker, say that right. because Bondarenka in Ukrainian is Cooper barrel maker. That, Please continue. <laughs> so, so anyway, there was a, a semi. Um, there was insolence and trouble on the ship uh, because they were out of their territory. They were, uh, you know, there was anxiety, and so the the elders of the pilgrims that would include uh, John Carver. Um, William Bradford and um, and Webster was his name. The three of them realized that we've got to keep our 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 people together, and they decided to draft up a Mayflower, the Mayflower Compact, as it came to be known, it was basically a one-page document. But what it did was that each person pledged to one another. All the signers were pledging to one another. Uh, you know, to to watch each other's back, to do things, uh, you know, in a democratic way. Uh, so it was really the first, it, it was the first document that created self-government. And, um, and indeed, when they arrived in Plymouth, they stayed together. And uh, the first winter was extraordinarily challenging. Uh, and as I mentioned, about half the, the colony passed away. They lost about half their people. Um, but it could have been worse because during, shortly after they arrived, they met up with an Indian, Squanto, who had been earlier uh, actually kidnapped, taken to Europe, to England, and he had learned English uh, reasonably well. So he became sort of the translator between the, the pilgrims and the Massasoit, the, the Indian chief. And after the winter was over, it was decided that they needed to establish a peace treaty. And that was the, the second unique achievement of the pilgrims was to establish a peace treaty with the Indians. And that peace treaty lasted 50 years where there was no conflict, no war. 
They actually helped each other out. And the Pilgrims were really quite unique in American history that way because other treaties with other Indian tribes never seemed to last very long. Uh, so that was the, the second major achievement that the Pilgrims achieved. And, um, you know, it was... Uh, but they also were following the guidelines that came from uh, the Virginia Company that sponsored their their voyage. And th- those guidelines were that you should take care of each other, uh, all agriculture, farming should be done communally, and uh, the harvest should be shared uh, equally between all the people. And, but what happened, that, that, of course, is a not just a communal way of agriculture, but economically it's a socialist system, and it was recognized very early on that it wasn't working very well. There were people that were lazy and didn't contribute much, and yet they wanted their fair share. And so uh, William Bradford... Uh, didn't know what to do, but he fall- the, the first harvest in the fall of 1621, uh, they, they felt even though it was meager, they wanted to give thanks. They invited the Indians to join them, and this was the first Thanksgiving. And the Indians really made, made the Thanksgiving because they brought so much food. Uh, they just shot five deer, and they had a whole host of, of, of other foodstuffs. And it was a, a three-day celebration. And they continued I- on uh, in 1621, uh, you know, planting again for the, or in 1622, they planted in the early spring, same approach, communal farming, socialism. And again, it was a dismal result. And finally, uh, uh, um, William Bradford decided that he should divide up the land, giving plots of land to each family, and thereafter uh, their economy prospered much more. So their third accomplishment was this turning away from socialism and really embracing, you know, free enterprise, private property and free enterprise. Um, And this is pre-Marx, of course. This is in 1620, you know, two centuries before Karl Marx made the scene. But uh, it's significant that that's Part of this, part of the birth pains of America included all these things. If I might, I'd like to point out, I mean, this is, and just how we got there. It's said that the Mayflower Compact set the tone for the American Constitution. But you pointed out how we got there, which was a Christian worldview uh, uh, of, of personal liberty found in the Bible, that's one. People who deny the, the Christian uh, influences on our form of government are, 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 are ignorant of history. But what's really amazing is that these people found themselves in a position where because of their religion, they had to come, they felt they had to come to this country. And then something happened that blew them off course to take them away from the Virginia company and its influence. So it left them not just on their own, but relying on God. And then they run into this guy you talked about, Squanto, who amazingly, the the, the story of Squanto in itself, S-Q-U-A-N-T-O is the Americanization of that. But the fact that this guy was grabbed by an, uh, an English 
uh, sea captain, sold into slavery, sent to Spain, works his way to England. I mean, uh, quite an entrepreneur himself, learns everything he needs to know, gets into another sea captain's household, gets assigned to that guy's boat and works his way back to New England and ends up right where his tribe was, I think it was the Patuxet. Ends where, yes. Maybe I right. got that. Okay. So he goes right where his tribe was and they were kind of a warlike tribe. And so uh, the other tribes had a problem with them and they're wiped out by some disease. And that's right where the Mayflower lands. And so they come in and there's this open area. They take it over. And then Squanto, who had been living with the Maswiat, he comes walking out of the woods and say, howdy, folks, can I help? And he's not bitter. He's not bitter at white people. He's, hey, what can I do? You know, I know you guys. I speak your language. And then he shows them everything they need to survive. If that isn't the hand of God on the founding of this country, then you're blind. Uh, calm down now. <laughs> well, so please I, I love your I, I love your passion. I share that passion. It's it's an amazing story. And um you know the hand that you know God's hand was on America from the very beginning, and certainly it is demonstrated in the story of the pilgrims. And you know the the pilgrims they viewed leaving Europe. Um, you know they, they they were persecuted. They they found that the way life was uh, politically, religiously, there was corruption, abuse of power. And so when they made their decision to come to the New World, they likened themselves to the Israelites leaving the bondage uh, of Egypt, slavery and the, the slavery mm-hmm. and bondage of Egypt. Uh, and of course, the, the Israelites, uh, you know, went to the, the, the promised land under the direction of, of Moses' leadership, and it was, an, it was a long course uh, with a lot of hardship, a lot of uh, great challenges. It took them more than 40 years to to finally um, come into the, the the promised land. But even after getting in the promised land, they had all kinds of challenges. But that's another story. But the, but it's a very foundational story for the you know for the entire Jewish um, <clears throat> Jewish people. Their whole heritage is really rooted in this story of Moses. Uh, and. The, the pilgrims viewed themselves the same way. They spoke in terms of the Israelites. They likened their course to that of the Israelites in leaving the bondage of the old world, the corruption and the bondage of the old world, to go to the promised land. And so the pilgrims viewed coming to the new world as the promised land. And, of course, they encountered many, you know, a great deal of hardship uh, that we've partially touched on but um, they were they were clearly blessed, and and they thrived, and they had this, you know, they were unique in having peace with the Indians for more than fifty years, um, and finally they were sort of absorbed into the New England colony uh, of of the Puritans who settled in north of of Plymouth, Massachusetts, settled really in Boston, which is about forty miles north, and so the Pilgrims sort of lost their their unique identity as they got absorbed by the uh, the New England colony. But their first, you know, probably their first uh, two generations, it was a it, it was a a, a community of uh, Christian 
believers, you know, who whose priority was God and doing God's will as they saw it. The Puritans and the Pilgrims, particularly in my mind, and I think in many others in popular popular uh, perception, the Pilgrims and Puritans were often conf- conflated to be the same. People think that the Puritans came over on the Mayflower, uh, whereas you know they, they were actually a different people. As you said, the Puritans came later. Our friend uh, Bill Federer has pointed out before that many of the founders uh, were Hebraicists, I believe is the term he used. Yes, yeah, they, they were they very were, interesting. They were grounded in the Hebraic tradition. So they were, and that's why Thanksgiving, as I point out in this article that will be published in The Federalist on Monday, that really both Christians and Jews can find a lot of meaning in in the Thanksgiving tradition simply because of the Hebraic nature of the of the pilgrim leaders. Um it was uh, um, William Bradford wrote the first 20 pages of his uh, diary in Hebrew, which is just remarkable. Why, why did he choose to <laughs> write in Hebrew instead of English? But he did. Well, and of course, uh, like Bill Federer points out, is that, and I'm sure others, but I just heard it from him mostly, is that, you know, our, our founders, uh, our, our principles of self-government are found in uh, Hebraic literature in the Old Testament where they didn't have a king. God was their king. They knew God was watching over them and that was the governing factor. You know, you didn't do this wrong or that wrong because you knew God was watching and so you behaved yourself until of course they'd drift away and then after a few years of that, God had sent them a judge and a deliverer and they'd come back for a while. It was, it's a process, but yeah, that's the whole concept of self-government to some degree, a lack of a central government and a king comes from Hebraic tradition. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, let's see now. So we're, we we're moved on, on. in the story of the Pilgrims. The their their fourth, you know, their their third major uh, achievement, as that I point out, was the was the peace treaty that lasted so long, and the harmony that was created there was so real and genuine, un- unlike any other really in the history of um, colonization in America. Uh, the fourth achievement of the Pilgrims was, as we've as we've uh, touched on, is the, a rejection of socialism um, and the adoption of, of what, for lack of a better term, private property, private enterprise. Um, and you know, G- Governor Bradford, you know, after after the the second season of uh, meager harvest, he commented, and I'll and I'll quote him. Uh, he said that he'd seen enough recording that the system was, quote, found to breach, to breed much confusion and discontent and retard much employment that would have been to their benefit and comfort. So before the, the you know, before the, the 1623 season, he scrapped the socialist farming and, and created, you know, uh, do, you know, established uh, lots for all the different families. Excellent. And- also, you talked about the peace treaty with the Indians. The Pilgrims actually saved the Indian chief's life. Was that Massasoit himself? Is that his name? Yes, it was. Yeah, and that's what and I so, call the, the fifth the fifth factor that we can kind of learn from, uh, or that we can recognize, or you know, was really sort of unique to the, you know, to the Pilgrim story. You know, in a way, the Thanksgiving is part of the Pilgrim story, but there are these other facets. And <clears throat> when they learned that Massasoit was uh, 
was deathly ill and uh, rumored to, you know, to, you know, to, to being likely to, to die. Um, it was the Scott. elder Winslow, uh, Edward Winslow who had some, um, Hey Scott, Scott, I, I, hold yeah. on a second. I know you can't see me. I got to interrupt you. We got a cliffhanger. We got 15 seconds till the end of this segment. Folks, come on back and hear the rest of the story. Your American heritage. Back in about uh, three, four minutes after the commercials. Thanks. We were made to be courageous. We were made to lead the way. We could be the generation that finally breaks the chains. We were made to be courageous. We were made to be courageous. We were warriors on the front lines, standing unafraid. Well, welcome back to Your American Heritage, baby. So sort of joining me uh, in today's show is Scott Powell, the author of Rediscovering America. And I may have screwed up here. I asked Scott to come back in the second half on Skype. And I don't see him on Skype yet. And so I hope he calls back in on phone because I was enjoying the conversation. Um, And... He's on the phone. Okay, good. Thanks, Derek. Appreciate that. So, Scott, you there? I am, yes. Yep, yep. Okay. Sorry about that. I, I was hoping the Skype thing, I get to see you and talk to you, but that's okay. This is fine. Well, we'll, so, do, it. Um, we'll do it the next time. I, I like Skype, too, and I'll be I'll be set for you when we do it again. No problem. So, folks, uh, inside baseball, there you go. One of the things we were talking about Thanksgiving, and we were going to change subjects second half, but I make I want to make sure that we followed through on this. Uh, but one thing I wanted to point out was that uh, the pilgrims, when they came over and they set up the colony, they were abolitionists, right? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And so this whole thing about the 1619 project and America's founded on slavery, 1620, the people who really founded America gave us the Mayflower Compact, influenced the U.S. Constitution, everything else goes with our form of government. They were abolitionists. So we've got a lie going on right there. But now you were talking about, we were talking about your uh, point number four. Go ahead and please continue. Well, actually, we were, we were kind of on the fifth factor that distinguished the oh, pilgrims, okay. um, and it was it was their their model relational behavior. You know, while while tolerance enabled them to keep relative harmony within their diverse community, <clears throat> and by the way, you know, uh, they they had an appreciation of discipline, law, and order. I've been to the Plymouth Plantation, and uh, you know, it's a it's a replication of what that original village was like, and they had several stocks in the public area. The stocks meaning that you know when you broke the law, you were you were put in stocks, <laughs> not in jail, but it was like uh, being in a yoke <laughs> with your humiliation your and your neck, <laughs> and everyone could see who was who was the bad actor. <laughs> it's, so, it's surprising you needed several. Right, they had several of them. <laughs> Now, how often they were used, I just don't know. But 
but I just point that out that that they while they were uh, godly people, they still recognized that uh, even among their own members, you could have people were you were human. They had fallen nature, uh, and sometimes they needed discipline. So there you go. Now it okay. it it. It came to be known in, in 1623 that Massasoit was on the brink of death uh, from an un- unknown illness, and it was the senior pilgrim uh, elder, Edward Winslow, uh, who had some experience with natural medicine, and he was also one of the, uh, you know, one of the elders, one of the religious elders of the community. When he heard this, he just was compelled to go to see if he could, if he could help uh, save his life, save uh, Massasoit's life. So he set out on a 40-mile journey, uh, which is really a long ways by foot. Oh, my it's, goodness. You know, it's two, day, it's two days, uh, maybe if he had a horse. I don't know if he, they had horses, um, but it's a long journey, two or three days. Uh, and he, he he did meet up, uh, found Massasoit. He was still alive, and he administered medicinal broth, natural herbs, and, and prayers. And astonishingly, astonishingly uh, Massasoit made a full recovery within days. And, and, Mass- and Massasoit said, upon recovery, he said, and I'll quote him, Now I see the English are my friends and love me. And whilst I live, I will never forget this, this kindness that they have shown me. So it's it, the whole... The whole pilgrim story is quite remarkable, and as I've said, and to, to God, as I've as I've said to some people, what can we learn from the pilgrim story that's applicable today? And these five achievements kind of show the qualities of character that made them exemplary, and as relevant today as they ever as they were four centuries ago. Uh, so, uh, you know, a contemporary Thanksgiving makeover might include. You know, rekindling a quest for adventure because clearly these were these people had a willingness to take adventure. Developing a faith to hold on to a vision of a promised land, no matter what. And for us, it's not necessarily land, but it's a vision of life that we need to hold on to, no matter what. And then Culture. mustering the courage to go against the crowd. They were going against the Church of England. They were persecuted. Uh, not only did they go against the crowd, but they they were. They stood up for the truth. Defending the truth was important to them. And they, and they gained the resolve to endure hardship. They had to. They experienced so much of it. And they, and they had a respect for and tolerance of people of different beliefs. And in the end, that last story shows us this sort of, you know, willingness to sacrifice for others. Uh, and uh, I guess we could also say, you know, what we learn from the pilgrims is the predisposition to love, assist, and express gratitude at, at every opportunity. Um, and if we, lived, if we lived our lives that way today, I think so many of our problems would, you know, would, uh, would dissolve. They just wouldn't, they would melt away. They would, they would go into remission. <laughs> yes, and amen. And so, interestingly enough, I didn't know this when I contacted you. I, I, you know, I have the book. I love the book. I think it's great. And uh, it seems like you're going into a little more depth in this uh, article for the Federalist. But I scooped the Federalist. Wow. 
So this is going to be in the Federalist Monday in a much more expanded uh, manner, right? Well, it's it's shorter than the chapter in the book. I don't I don't talk is about it? the backstory oh. <laughs> of the Protestant Reformation and all, but uh, and I don't talk as much about the adventures at sea. I mean, they had more. They all, they almost died twice on two different boats uh, because uh, it it took them it took them two or three tries to to get out of England. They were their their first uh, person who was going to journey going to transport them to Holland, betrayed them, and they ended up, in, several of the leaders ended up in jail. And then they make their, their on their second effort, uh, the men got out to the boat before the women, and then the authorities arrived with big big guns and cannons, and the ship captain said, hey, we better go. <laughs> so so the men left the women on the beach and sailed sa- sailed out to Holland, and they got caught in an awful storm in the North Sea, so bad that that the the the, the ship's crew uh, had given up they said we're going to sink our ship is going to sink it was listing you know when 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 a ship takes on water it begins to to, to tilt and and uh and and Bradford and others uh they they of course uh cried out to god they they prayed for uh for their safety that that god would would intervene and save the ship uh, from sinking, and within you know within 15 minutes, uh, the 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 winds uh, diminished, and gradually the seas calmed down, and they were able to get safely to uh, <laughs> to Holland. Once but, again, uh, there the are hand so of many God. stories. There's so many stories like this. It's just they're in the book, and and it's it's mind blowing. I mean, truth. Uh, is more unbelievable than fiction when it comes to the history of the United States. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I was saying, hand of God. And, you know, I wanted to get into some of the election. You had an article you wrote about uh, about the red puddle as opposed to the red wave. Uh, I'm willing to get into that. Uh, into rather, uh, I'm willing to get into that. But if there's anybody that has a question concerning uh, what was said about uh, Thanksgiving so far and the, the Mayflower and Plymouth Colony, uh, feel free to call in 734-822-1600. We'll entertain that. I'm kind of curious, Scott, do you know what the reaction to the non-religious uh, members of the cast, so to speak, were? Did they chafe under the, uh, uh, so to speak, religious culture of the pilgrims? Well, they they did spread out a little bit um, after a couple of years. Um, uh, the first season they were all in in one tight community, and, and right into the second season. But you know they they were in a very interesting part of uh, the 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 south shore of Massachusetts, about thirty five miles south of Boston. Um, it's a lush area, and so they. Uh, some of the some of the families decided to settle in a neighboring neighboring town. Uh, Duxbury was a destination for uh, John Alden's family, um, and John Alden was the Cooper, and also Miles Standish uh, settled, and he he was the military leader for the Pilgrims, uh, and he settled in Duxbury, and then, and then there were were others uh, that that preferred Duxbury uh, over over Plymouth, and. Um, but as far as we know, uh, relations were, were good with everybody. 
Well, we have a caller, JB, he's on the phone, and he has a comment about today's interview. So uh, let's entertain JB. Hi, JB. Hey, good afternoon, Ed. Hi. Yeah. Hi, Scott. Um, so Scott just mentioned a few minutes ago, and I was thinking about this earlier, about the hardships, you know, that these people endured. And we can't, you know, what you're doing, we, we can't uh, just forget about this because it's been around for 200 years and so on. We need to keep rehearsing this. So a quote from William Bradford that I thoroughly appreciate, and it's so good. In, in one of his writings, he, he, he uh, claimed that we have noted these things so that you might see their worth and not negligently lose sight of what your forefathers have obtained with such much hardship. So I, I just, that inspires me. Yeah, I can see why. Scott, any, any comment on that? Well, I mean, he, he was a godly man and he, he had foresight into the, you know, the foresight to say that, that future generations uh, would would recognize that their blessings, if you will, uh, came were born out of great hardship, and that you know that is <clears throat> the, the the pilgrims were very different than the Puritans in this sense too, because the Puritans had it a lot easier. They didn't go through the great hardship. They had the same, a very similar. Um, desire to live according to live biblically and and the, and the way you can remember the difference between puritans and pilgrims is that the puritans believe they should stay within the church of england and purify the church their their role uh the, the puritans sought to purify the church whereas the pilgrims said you know you can't really it, it's beyond um correcting uh we're going to separate. You know, we're going to chart our own course. Uh, but the Puritans, the Puritans were were very industrious. So within the second generation in Boston, and the Puritans came in 1630 and settled in Boston and then the north, the North Shore uh, of Boston. Uh, you know, Salem, and you know, everybody's heard of the Salem witch witch trials uh, that happened many years later. But uh, the Puritans were quite successful. So by the second generation. Uh, there, there was simply no poverty in the Puritan community, uh, and they were very industrious. And uh, so much of the early industrial revolution came out of the out of the the, the Protestant ethic that was part and parcel of of the Puritans. Well, we call that the Protestant work ethic. That's that's the roots, right? Yep. Yeah, and it's really right. it's, it's it's really quite interesting if 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 uh, we wanted to chat just briefly about that because you know we as Christians believe that it isn't works that that matter it is we're not saved by our works but we're saved by uh, by Christ giving His life by God's grace we are saved but still in the early Protestant tradition you remember the the Catholics believe that the way you get to heaven is through the church. And and it, the Catholic tradition was very works-oriented. So in that period, uh, the early Protestant period, there was this 
uncertainty with some people of uh, they were on their own with God, and <laughs> and that uncertainty compelled them to work to work hard, you know, to you know to offer the best in the in the best of themselves in what they did in their professions, and so that's why that the Protestants were far more economically successful than the Catholics. Yes, yes. Uh, thank you for your call, JB. By the way, I wanted to, I want to thank you for that. You've uh, you really contributed to the show. Um, was there anything else you wanted to say about Thanksgiving and the the pilgrims and uh, and the whole process? Got uh, we've got. I don't know, maybe about four or five minutes left. No, eight minutes, really. And we could get into the election a little bit. I had told some people yeah, that... Maybe, uh, maybe we could do that. I just encourage your, your listeners to... You know, the book is... You know, if you, you liked what you heard about the about the, the Pilgrim story, the, the book is written uh, with the same sort of fascinating backstories of our history. The virtues of America are encapsulated in, in every chapter. Uh, and it really gives, just just like a soldier needs and needs the army, the classic army field manual to go into battle and succeed. I wrote this book in the same way to give people the historical and spiritual, uh, you know, uh, appreciation uh, of our country, so that they can go into battle with the with the critics of America, with the 1619 Project people, and defeat them because. You know, we are under assault. Our whole country, the, the greatness of America is being diminished by its enemies, many of whom live internally, and um, we need to defeat them because, uh, you know, God, God gave, you know, God really raised up America to do great things, and I don't think God should be done with us just yet. Amen. I feel that. God God built a, a wonderful mechanism here. It's like a uh, one of those mechanical, um, almost like a mechanical universe that Newton had, you know, that all oh, everything, you know, clockwork and just God set that up here in America. I, I don't like the idea of the left smashing it and getting away with it. It's up to us to maintain this, to do, to do, to be salt and light, to continue on uh, uh, his work. And, and, it leads to the liberty and and the freedom of people. It's that's our history is setting people free. Even the Civil War was about setting people free. No what no matter what other people want to might say, it was about setting people free. World War II, setting people free. The Cold that's War, right. setting people free. It's we have we have a history of that, and so we need to keep that up. And the left wants to dominate people and put them under their thumb, and we need to battle that. I want to tell you about your book. I have a friend at work who listens to the show, and he asked me about the book, and I gave it to him to read because, and I think it's true of a number of people. I was always a history buff when I was a kid, but it's because of some books my sister gave me when I was a kid. They were very readable about history. And so I got interested in what's the backstory of what's going on because I wanted to know. But most of what you get in history class in schools is just teaching for the test, numbers, no personality. And your book is a cure for that. And this friend of mine at work, he asked about that. He said, how readable is it? Because I have a I have a struggle with history with some people have a struggle in reading altogether for that matter. They they uh 
it's not that they can't read. It's they're just not used to it. Your book is so readable, so enjoyable, so informative. And you lay out that whole, you know, if you want to say theological background of the founding of America. I mean, there's there's far more to it than in your book, but you give people a taste for it. There's a whole philosophical movement, John Locke and everybody else leading up to the thinking that produced the American Revolution, that, you know, including the Black Robe Regiment, all the pastors that, you know, taught their their parishioners these values, these, these uh, what would the word be? I don't know, you tell me. <clears throat> well, you know, the Minutemen, that uh, that were the first, you know, be- before the Continental Army was formed, there were the Minutemen of Lexington and Concord. And you know where the Minutemen uh, from Lexington and Concord came from? They were all recruited right from the churches, and the pastor recruited them. Yeah, I, so great, I believe I read the story, story that the, and, and a lot of people don't understand that the Battle of Lexington was a year before July 4th, 1776. That's when the Revolutionary Actually, War really started, a year, before, a year earlier. And yeah, was in- that the British, the British are coming. They were coming after, and actually it was the regulars are coming because they were all British. But the army was coming after the the guns and ammo of the townspeople. Right. And when they the, wanted to disarm when this them. pastor, go ahead. <laughs> they, they, the British wanted to disarm the colonists because then, of course, they were confident that they could continue to... Uh, to rule over them, uh, and and of course the colonists were were chafing against a taxation without representation and and uh, a justice system that didn't deliver justice to them, and so forth and so on. They they were dealing with a tyranny, and so the no the Second Amendment is was put in the Constitution for a reason. And by the way, Massachusetts was one of the strong advocates of the Bill of Rights that included a Second Amendment, that the the right to keep and bear arms had to be in the Constitution. And it's partially because of what the British did in Boston. Their, exactly. Their memory, it's almost like their their memory of what, what happened uh in the early revolution in, in Boston. Exactly. And so to my knowledge, a pastor actually took off his frock, exposed uh uh you know, picked up his musket and and Told his, uh, somebody told me he exposed his continental uh, uniform. I don't know if that was possible, but he did. He told his people, pick up your guns. We got to go to Lexington. We got to go stop the British from taking our stuff. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah. So with, with regard to where we are now, you know, I think many, you know, many people were a little or significantly disheartened by the results of the midterm election. <clears throat> and what I pointed out in this article, why the Red Tsunami turned into a ripple, was that we we failed to really reform our uh, elect, election system, our, our voting system. You know, we, we saw massive, what I'll call industrial-scale vote fraud two years ago, and yet we really, as a nation, kind of stayed in denial. And, uh, and so we had a repeat, really, of what happened two years ago. Same techniques, same things. Some states did rein in ballot, ballot harvesting, like Georgia. But in, in Nevada, for instance, 
and that was a close race between Laxalt and uh, and a Democrat. Uh, ballot harvesting made all the difference there. Um, yeah. So hey, we have you know, we, we we have yeah. we have one minute left, and I'm going to put you on the spot here. Are you free next Saturday afternoon? I think I will be. I'm not going away for Thanksgiving, so yes, I think I would be. You want to continue the conversation on the yeah, election could. next Saturday? We, we, yeah, we 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 could. Yes. Yep. Well, good. There you go, folks. And uh, Joe, I know you had some comments about the election, Joe from Wyandot. And uh, stay tuned. So, folks, this has been uh, uh, your American Heritage. We've been talking about Thanksgiving with Scott Powell, author of Rediscovering America. Please join us next week, and uh, we'll continue the conversation with Scott. Uh, uh, we have 15 seconds. So God bless America and America bless God. Come back next week.